Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Paul, for welcoming everybody today. My name is Todd, and I'm excited to be sharing with you a little bit this morning. Uh, I'd like to say a couple of things to folks who are here for the first time. Number one, just like Paul said, we are so glad that you are here today spending Sunday morning with us. No matter how much faith you walked through these doors this morning with, it's our hope that you feel welcomed and engaged and that you come back next week. I also want you to know, if this is your first time, that I am not one of the regular speakers here. Matt, who is usually up front on Sunday, is away on vacation this week. And so I wore my most Matt outfit that I had <laughs> in my wardrobe. Hopefully, uh, I might be a little taller, I don't know. But um, he, uh, he's down in Florida with his family, so we hope he's getting the rest and relaxation that, that he deserves. Uh, I also want to thank everybody who volunteers to make Sunday mornings possible here, the musicians and the welcome folks and all the folks that are back in Park Kids right now, folks in the AV booth at week in and week out who uh, volunteer their time. So thank you to everybody who makes Sunday morning possible. So believe it or not, it is the last weekend in August already. I know. Guest speaker, never start this, the talk with, a, with bad news, right, as the guest speaker? There you go. So it is the last weekend in August, and that, that's what Costco calls Christmas, right? Has anybody been there? They actually have wrapping stuff out already, right? So you hear a lot about this war on Christmas thing. From, from where I'm shopping, it looks like Christmas is winning. So um, for me, it's also back to school season. I'm a high school teacher, so I, I added it all up. This is actually back to school number 32. For, I know, I don't look that old. No, the, 12 at first grade to 12th grade back to school, and then this is going to be my 21st year of teaching. So this is actually back to school number 20 as a teacher. So it's 32 years. Um, so I actually found a couple of illustrations to uh, warm up the crowd this morning that resonated with me as a teacher and as a parent. So Andy, if you can. Uh... So here's one that I'm facing as I head back to school in September. And this one, as a parent, put down the pom-poms, Mom. You're embarrassing me. So I, you know, it's, it's really, it's a privilege to be home with the kids all summer. I have three little girls that are five, six, and seven. And it's been great, but there's, there's some part of me that feels like the woman in that picture <laughs> right now as we, as we head into the fall. So we're in the middle of a series. What we do here is we pick a topic and we talk about it for four or five or six weeks. So we're in the middle of a series called Just Face It, and it's a series on change. And so as we head into the fall, this is the perfect time to be talking about change because most of us, as we head into September, are facing some sort of change. For some of us, it's a major change. For some of us, it's a, maybe a new school, which means new teachers and new routines and a new social scene that we have to adjust to. Some of us will be starting new jobs or going back to work, like I will. Right? For most of us, the, the fall means more schedule and less flexibility. Right? The routine sets back in. And so what we've been talking about is how to face change well. And so if you, if you haven't been here and you want to listen to, to Matt and what Paul had to say a few weeks ago, you can go on the website and do that. You will be glad you did. Um, so this is the next to last week of this series. And I've been thinking about change a lot because I've got a couple big changes, a couple milestones. Number one, my youngest, my little Elise, my five-year-old, is starting kindergarten this year. And so I have no more, no more preschoolers. 
And there's just something about that for the parents in the room. You know there's something about when that youngest child leaves preschool and is heading off to school for the first time and no one's going to be in the house all day anymore. That's just a, that's a, that's a season of change. It's a milestone that represents that, that time is moving inexorably on. So Elise is heading off to kindergarten. And the second thing, I'm actually going to be changing jobs in, in about a month. So in the end of September, I will be leaving my, my classroom for the last time and turning off the lights. And I'm going to be starting a job as a middle school assistant principal. Yeah. So, oh, you, oh stop. Uh, so seventh grade discipline, right? Am I going to have sermon, I mean stories, right, from that. So... <laughs> When our, so I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, like, when our circumstances are in flux, it's our natural inclination to try to find something to hold on to. And so there's really two questions I want us to think about this morning. There's an obvious question, and there's a less obvious question that I want us to, to consider. And so I have a little illustration that, to show. So I had to show the picture, because I can't say the name of what I call that in, in polite company. But right, when things are changing, when the car is, is skidding, we hold on to, we look for something to hold on to. We look for a handle to hold on to. And so the obvious question is, are the things that, that you or I, that we are holding on to in the times of change, are they healthy things? Are they good things? Or are they not? You see, some of the things that we hold on to are good. Right? Matt talked about last week that in a season of change, it's wise to find a mentor that you can rely on, who can give you good counsel. And so that's a good response. That's a good handle, right, in a time of change. And we also know that there are very unhealthy things that we can, we can reach for in times of change. We can, you know, some, for some people, their story of how they ended up in a, in a cycle of, of addiction or abuse started with the unhealthy things they tried to reach on and hold on to in a time of change. But what I realized when I was thinking about good handles and bad handles is that most handles can be both. You see, like one of the things I was thinking about is in a time of change, we hold on to, we hold on to relationships, right? We hold on to, to our significant others or our friends, and we, we want them to get us through, through times of change. And that can be wise, right? That can be a, a good thing for you, and it can build your relationship. But I also see how that can be bad. As a high school teacher, I see a lot of young people, when things are tough, when things are changing, the transition to high school, things are a little up in the air at home, and what do they do? They find a relationship, and that becomes the thing that they hold on to. And that doesn't end up healthy, right? That relationship usually doesn't end up healthy for them. And so goes the relationship, so goes their, their mental health. And so relationships, it, it depends on the circumstance. It could be a good handle or it could be a bad handle. For some people, it's, it's their job, right? A job can be a good thing. It can provide stability and purpose and routine in life. But for some people, especially guys, like we have to admit this, right? When things get challenging at home, sometimes we, we hide at work instead of facing the changes in our lives. And another example that I thought of that really blew me away um, at work, I was talking to, to a student who was already a, a mother. And... She was just trying to talk through what, what had happened in her life up to this point. And she said, you know what? Having a kid is the hardest thing I've ever done. It's the most challenging thing that I do. And she's back at school trying to finish up school. But she said, you know what? That kid, that kid is my handle. That kid is my anchor. My life was so crazy. At least this kid every day, like that kid needs me. 
And so in a way, like being a parent became the thing that you think of as a parent as the one that's providing the support, but in some way, like being a parent can also be the thing that we hang on to in a world of change. And so what I want us to consider today is not just the simplified version of are you hanging on to good things and bad things, although if you are hanging on to bad things, like do something <laughs> about it, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to dismiss that, but the question that I think is even more profound has to do with the fact that even the good things that we hold on to in times of change, they themselves can change. Relationships can change. Jobs can change. Children certainly change. And so the question I want us to really consider today is can you find ultimate security by hanging on to things that are themselves changing? And so what, to illustrate this, I want to tell you about two times of change in my own life, and then we'll go from there. So the first time I want to tell you about when I was 14. Everybody loves the 14 story. So everything around me was changing when I was 14. We moved in eighth grade. So I had a school at the beginning of eighth grade, another school at the end of eighth grade, and then started high school in ninth grade. So three schools in less than a year, right? We, because we moved, gone were all like the neighborhood friends. See, I'm old enough that like we played outside when we were kids. So like moving was a big thing because like we actually went outside and like played sports and manhunt and stuff like that when we were younger. So gone were all the friends from my, from my old neighborhood. I don't know if Tommy's here today. One of my friends from the old hood goes here. But um, so things were changing. Everything was changing around me. And when you're 14, things are not only changing around you, right? They're changing within you, right? That's a whole other thing you got to deal with when you're 14. And so on top of all that, my transition to high school, this time of change for me, was definitely colored by a bad experience in middle school. And I'm not gonna, you know, no reason to compare middle school scars today, just suffice it to say there were, there were some kids that weren't so nice to me um, in middle school. And so when I, when I started high school, I was desperate for something to hold on to. And so like many people, when you start high school, the thing that I decided I was gonna hold on to was social acceptance, right? I was gonna find a group of friends and I was gonna hold on to that. I figured if I fit in, I would have security. And so freshman year, this is what a lot of people do. At my job, we, we call freshman gazelle. Right, because they realize that if they can just stay in a pack with other freshmen, then they won't be seen by the lions, right? But the ones that, that aren't, that don't, have a, that don't have a herd, that's what gets you into trouble in high school world. And so that's what I decided. I was going to find my, my pack of gazelle, and I was going to run with them, and that was going to save me. And so that was my goal, hell or high water. And the thing that I didn't realize is that I was going to make bad choices to find that group of friends. You see, the people that I chose to be friends with that I thought were going to be my, my gazelle, they, they weren't making the best choices either. And so because I realized in middle school that being smart and having friends could be inversely related, did anybody find that out in middle school? I decided that academics weren't going to be important to me. And so like kindergarten to eighth grade, when grades didn't matter, I was top of the class, <laughs> right? I start ninth grade and I'm a disaster at school, right? I just could not care less. Bad, I failed my English midterm in ninth grade. I still remember that. Um, but more importantly, another thing I gave up was my values. Now, I, I was raised knowing right from wrong. My parents are both in the room today. But when I was 14, I decided that I was going to sacrifice some of, those, some of those values for a couple hits of acceptance. 
And I thought that that was, was going to be a good trade at that point. So I don't need to go into the gory details. My mom is here. I don't want to tell you <laughs> what I was doing when I was 14. But let me just tell you, if you told her when I was 14 that I'd be giving sermons when I was 42, she would have laughed and laughed and probably cried. You know the laugh that turns into like a <laughs> probably would have one of those. So I reached for the handle of social acceptance, and I let go of other things that were important to do it. And I thought I could find that security that I was looking for. And you know what happened? It didn't work out. Halfway through my freshman year, the group that I was friends with started to disintegrate. Right? There were people that had falling outs with one another. And some of the kids in the group started to get into, into drugs. And that was, that was a bridge too far, even for me, when I was an idiot when I was 14. I just couldn't, I couldn't go down that road. And so halfway through my freshman year, you know where I was? Right back where I started. Because I reached for a handle that, that was not the smartest thing to reach for, I was probably even worse off than I was before. Because I had sacrificed things that I knew were important in order to try to reach out like I did. Now, I don't want to belabor this story any further because it's certainly not unique and it's not even unusual. And there's probably a lot of you who could tell a, a similar story to this. But if you're a church person, I know where you, where you think this story's going. Right? This is going to be the story where I bottom out and then like, I'm going to find Jesus and like, everything's going to get better magically in that moment. But that's not at all my story. You see, when I was in high school, when I was most of, of college, I would have considered myself an, an agnostic, maybe an atheist. That's not what happened. You see, I realized that if I just hung on to better things, I would be better off. And that's what I did. I found a better group of friends my sophomore year and I invested in my grades again. And I got super involved in extracurricular activities and things like that. And I found my footing, and, and everything was pretty OK. I felt pretty good. I was pretty secure from that point on. In fact, the, the lessons that I learned when I was 14, they enabled me to, to go 10 hours away for college. And that transition for me wasn't really difficult. I know it's really hard. I think right now, about half of students who go away to college don't return for their, for their sophomore year. And so that transition is, is legitimately difficult. But for me, it, it really wasn't that, that hard. I knew how to choose friends. I didn't have that like, go oh, crazy, crazy semester that, that a lot of kids have when they get there for the first time. I knew what to hang on to. Hang on to the good things. And that was good until the second semester of my senior year of college. And that's when I realized that all the things I hung on to were about to go away for good. See, the friends that I had made, they were getting grad school and job acceptances all over the country, heck, all over the world. My friend Charlotte moved to England. And I wasn't going to be a student anymore, so I couldn't throw myself into that and find my identity and my security in, in grades and academic achievement. And there would be no more extracurricular activities to, to fill my time. I don't even know what grown-ups call extracurricular activities. But I was going to be like the youngest person at the Kiwanis Club or so. I didn't, I didn't, really, know. I didn't really know what I was going to do. And boy, oh boy, did I get into my own head second semester senior year. When I, when I bumped up against the question, good handle, bad handle, I kind of figured it out. When I bumped into the question, but the good handles go away, but the good handles can change, that's the one that rocked my world. And so I actually, second semester senior year, there were a lot of nights that like we would all go out places, bars, or parties, or whatever. And like over the course of the night, like the, the group would start to disintegrate. Like People would go this way, people would go that way. And when I thought nobody would notice I was gone, you know what I would do? I would sneak back to my dorm room so I could just think. Right? I was in like full-on 
quarter-life crisis, existential crisis mode. I would sit in my dorm room, like, what, what is going on? Like, what is the point? And I'm considering job offers, and I'm thinking about where to move next, and I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what you can really trust in this world. I don't know what you can really hang on to in this world. And so this, this college conundrum was a lot more difficult for me than, than the high school one. And so I kind of like projected out from college, and I thought like, okay, so like in your 20s, what do you hang on to? Like you hang on to your job, but like jobs aren't secure, right? And then after, after that, maybe you hang on to like a marriage, but like marriages change, and you know, I'm 20, what do I know? Like, you know, half of marriages end in divorce, and, and then like, you know, you, maybe from there, you hang on to your kids, but your kids are gonna grow up, and they're gonna wake up one day, and they're gonna find you embarrassing, and then, you know, and then they're gonna move out. And, and then what are you going to do then? And I guess what, like, then your, your 401k is the thing that's going to like ride you off into the sunset. That'll be the handle. For the, and I was just like, I, I, is, that, is that all there is? That was the thing that I could not get out of my head. Is, is this all there is? And so let me give you like an illustration. Can I give you an illustration, a Jersey Shore illustration of this? All right. So did anybody like grow up around like going to beach clubs or beaches around here? Is that a thing, right? Or taking your kids to the beaches around here. We grew up going to the beach clubs around here and went to Ship Ahoy. And one of the things that we loved to do, besides you know, going in the ocean and playing running bases and, and whatever, we would build sandcastles, right? And when we say sandcastles, as like a 10-year-old boy, I don't mean like these sand sculptures, like the recreation of the Palace of Versailles, right? <laughs> we would take like, like the crab, crabby mold, you know what I'm talking about? We would like make the crab, and then the whole mission was to like build a wall and a ditch system, like medieval architecture style, that was going to keep the ocean away from that crab, right? Because the tide's coming in, and we're saying like we are going to we are going to build something that can withstand the tide. And you know what always happened? The ocean always won, <laughs> right? And so I'm sure that that you know the adults that were watching us were probably like oh that's cute like what are you doing building your little crabby again like we know how this is going to end and the thing that that struck me though was that the ocean for for grown-ups it's time like time is the tide that keeps on coming and the thing that that struck me was that yeah it might look ridiculous to an adult to try to protect a little sand crab from the tide but from the perspective of eternity, aren't we all building sand crabs that are facing the tide of time? And so I couldn't escape the, the, the problem of hanging on to things, even good things, jobs and relationships, things like that. I couldn't escape the fact that those things were also going to change. And so <coughs> there I was. And then something remarkable happened. It was remarkable because even though I had no interest in God, you know what happened in this moment? God showed an interest in me. I didn't go looking for God, but in the middle of this season, I chose to go to two optional lectures. At school, we had like famous people would come and talk in the big room, and like four people would go. Right, like the chief justice is here, and there'd be like 12 kids sitting there, like the politics major is like, oh my gosh, with the chief justice, the rest of us are like, whatever, I got homework. So here I am going to, going to these optional lectures, and I'm like, I don't even know why I'm going, I'm just going to go. And so the first one I go to, is, it's a guy by the name of Tony Campolo. Oh yeah, we got a, all right, we got a little Tony Campolo fan club up here in the front. So Tony Campolo, he's a Christian author, speaker, um, guy, 
And he was a good friend. Of, I guess he was the spiritual advisor of, of Bill Clinton at one point. I guess he needed that um, at one point. So Tony Campolo comes to, comes to, <laughs> all the Republicans are laughing. Um, <laughs> so Tony Campolo comes and he gives this talk. And this is, this is what he says to us. He says, I'm, I know I'm talking to a room full of college kids. I want to give you the talk that my pastor in Philadelphia gives to the college kids the week that they're leaving for college. I guess they had like a youth Sunday at the end of August where they would celebrate the kids that were going off to college. And Tony Campolo, he, he went to a traditionally African-American church outside of Philadelphia. And he says, this is what the pastor does every year. He gets up, and you know what he says to the college kids? He says, you are going to die. <laughs> and the college kids are like, hmm? <laughs> He's like, you're not thinking about that right now, but you are. And you know what he said next? I'll never forget it as long as I live. He said, they are going to put you in the ground, they are going to throw dirt on your face, and they are going to go back to the church and have potato salad. <laughs> right? That's not a line you forget, right? And so in that moment, that's exactly where I was. I was like, I know. Like, that's the problem. <laughs> and so Tony Campolo gives his talk, and he goes on to say that in, in light of that fact, he says that the only rational thing to do is to invest your time in relationships that glorify God. And I was like, all right, I don't really love the, I like the diagnosis. I'm not so sure about the prescription at this point. And then I go to a second optional talk. And it's, uh, it's another speaker, author, less famous, named Phyllis Tribble. Any Phyllis Tribble fans out there? No? All right. Sorry, Phyllis. Um, and so she gives a, a talk. And she starts this way. Again, she's like talking to college kids, and she, she starts with this. She starts with the words from the book of Ecclesiastes. And she says to us, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. A striving after the wind. And I was like, I know, lady. <laughs> I know. So what do I do about this? And so she goes on to continue from, from the book of Ecclesiastes, which is in the scriptures. And she says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Fear God and keep his commands for that is the duty of mankind. And afterwards, after I heard these two, I went on this new thing in the late 90s called the internet. And I printed these two talks on my dot matrix printer. Probably took like a half hour on my dial up to like download a, you know, a four page text. And, and I would read them over and over again. And the truth of them struck me. The fact that they landed right where I was at struck me. And it started to occur to me that it's more difficult for me to believe that I heard these talks by coincidence. And it's easier and easier for me to believe that there's a God who loves me, who's actually trying to reach me with his truth and his purpose and his love. And so I started to read the Gospels. I, I got a copy of the, of the, the Bible. And <laughs> I read through all four Gospels, and I want to share with you one of the passages that I, that I read that really impacted me at this time. And it comes from Luke 12. And so Luke, if you don't know, is he wasn't one of the guys who was closest to Jesus when he was on earth, but he was a, a man who set about to research and investigate everything that went on in Jesus' life and in his ministry. And he's set to, I think he calls it, to write down an orderly account of everything that has happened. And so this comes from Luke's account 
of everything that happens. And so where we pick up, um, Jesus is traveling in the countryside outside of Jerusalem and gathered around him because he's teaching and healing and feeding. Luke describes the crowd as an innumerable multitude. Right? He's got a lot of peeps following him around. And so this is what happens. So someone in the crowd says to him, teacher, tell my brother to, to divide the inheritance with me. So as you probably know, in the ancient world, primogeniture reigned, so the, the oldest son would get everything and the other kids would get nothing. So this is probably a second or third son who wants Jesus to intervene on his behalf. And Jesus replied, man, who appointed me to be a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. Now, a parable is a story that Jesus would tell to make a point. The, the story isn't literally true, but it's true in the sense that it, it communicates something that's important. And so he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves and is not rich towards God. And so Jesus is speaking to this random man in the crowd. This is not one of his followers that he's talking to. The man sought out Jesus not to find out about this eternal life that Jesus has been teaching about, but to use Jesus to find worldly security that he wanted. And instead of scolding the man for his greed or for his foolishness, Jesus uses the opportunity to make a much bigger point. He tells the story of a man who places his faith in status and wealth. And Jesus asks, how can something that is temporary be trustworthy? And again, to be clear, neither myself nor, more importantly, Jesus is saying that, that the things I'm talking about that we hang on to, that they're bad things. They're not. They're just not forever. And so this man, he wasn't a fool for being a successful farmer, for being an entrepreneur. He became a fool when he built bigger barns and his quest for worldly security crowded out the things that truly last, the things of internal importance. And then the story ends. We don't know what happens to the man. He presumably melts back into the crowd. We don't know what he's feeling or thinking, if he feels rebuked or confused or convicted. We don't know. But before we go on to the next passage, where Jesus is going to turn his attention from the crowd to his followers, I want, I want to leave something here for the people who are here today, who, like me when I was 21, and, and like the man who was just following Jesus because he, he wanted something from him, I want to leave a, an idea and a question for you. So if you are far from God, if you have little faith right now, maybe you showed up here today. What, do you, you know, what are you doing here today? Maybe you're here today because you're in a season of change that, that's difficult. And maybe you're looking for something to hang on to. And so the question is, can you find something 
in God that is certain to last? Can you find something that you can truly hold on to? And that question is really one of the questions that led me to faith. So my challenge for you, if you don't know what you believe and you, you're far from God, is to, to reflect on that question. What is it that you can truly hang on to? And maybe pray on that question. Maybe have a hard conversation with God about, about why you no longer trust him because he let you down in your mind at some point. And ask yourself, are the things that you've replaced him with, are those handles also going to last? And if we can help you through that process, Right? If we can be a part of that process for you, please let us know. Right? Grab any of us that have been up front today. Fill out a Connect card and have somebody contact you. Right? Decide to join a community group this fall and, and spend a couple weeks with, with people who are believers and be honest about your doubts. But, but whatever it is, even if it's just come back next week and realize that you're sitting in a room with a lot of people who have been through hard things, that are still choosing to hang on to Jesus. And so if you're far from God today, we are so glad you're here, and we encourage you to take that next step, to ask that question, to reach out in some way. So we move on to what Jesus says next to the people that were following him. So he turns and he says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body or what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no, fear, no, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. And there's so much there. You could do an entire series on, on just that. There's a couple things I want to pull out as we land this thing today. Jesus says to his followers, listen, this is a here today, gone tomorrow world. So don't hang on so tightly to the things of the world that you don't have any capacity to hold on to the things of God. Don't be so invested in the world, even in the good things in the world, that it crowds out an investment in God. He says that's what the person of little faith does. 
Right? He acknowledges God with his mind or with his words or in his rituals, but then he keeps his grip so tightly on the things of the world. And the result of that is not security, it's worry. The word that, that is translated here as worry actually literally means pulled apart. It's not that you're worrying, it's that you're being pulled apart. You see, the person who acknowledges God but hangs on too tightly to the things of the world is going to be pulled apart by anxiety. So Jesus says, instead, loosen your grip on the things of the world, on the things that won't last. He says, sell your possessions, right? Loosen your grip. Don't put all your trust in things that thieves and moths will destroy. Don't put all your trust in things that the tide of time will wash away. And he says, you will be better for it. When we seek the kingdom, when we hold on to forever things, we will find worry replaced with peace. And we will begin to find that our capacity to handle change is growing. And in this way, in this proactive way, we'll be far better off than the person who only reaches for the handle when the car begins to skid. Because there's an amazing principle at work here that Jesus points out that I want to wrap up with today. Instead of using the handle analogy that I've been using for the things that we hold on to, Jesus talks about where your heart is. That's where you find your stability. He uses that metaphor instead that where your heart is. And he says, he warns that having our hearts set on the things of the world is unwise. Our hearts are happier when they are at rest in the unchanging. And then he tells us how to do it. More importantly, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, if you want to move your heart to somewhere safe, you got to move your treasure first. The last few years in education, Deirdre can back me up on this, there's been a lot of talk about helping students find their passion. And you know what they figured out after a few years of this find your passion? Like give students the freedom and the, don't give them structure. Let them find their passion. And you know what they found? It does not make students happy. It does not help students find their passion. You know why? Because passion follows the investment. Passion follows pouring yourself into something. Or like Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so Jesus doesn't just say, well, move your heart. He doesn't tell us something that's impossible for us to do. He says, move your treasure to somewhere safe, and your heart will go there also. And this is very counterintuitive in our culture, our follow-your-heart, instant gratification culture, but it doesn't make it any less true. So we're invited to leverage this principle today. If we only invest in things that change, our hearts will move towards worry. But if we invest in things that don't, our hearts will move towards peace. So let's wrap this up with, with a challenge for, for the other folks, for the folks that consider themselves Jesus followers. And here's the challenge. I'm going to give you a challenge. Here's why. Because as someone who, who listens to a lot of messages, and gives only a couple. You know what I've realized about messages? We like to be moved a whole lot more than we like to change. 
And so here's the challenge. What is one way this fall that you can loosen your grip on something that is certain to change so that you have the time, the energy, the attention to reach out and hold on to something that is certain to stay the same? Examples. Let's start with the low-hanging fruit. Maybe you spend hours on social media. Right? Maybe you're keeping up with the Joneses. Maybe you're rooting for your side in, in the politics that has, has deteriorated in our country. Maybe the, that investment is crowding out an investment in an opportunity for you to, to read the Bible or to spend time in prayer. And so maybe you think, like, I need to be in social, especially when you're younger, like, you need to be involved in social media to, like, know what's going on and be in the know and know what everybody's doing or else you're going to be left out and you're going to be one of the gazelle that's out on its own, right? But maybe if you loosen your grip on that and you reach out for something that doesn't change, like the Word of God, maybe you will find that you're worrying less about what everybody else is doing. Maybe you're comparing yourself less to what everybody else has and your heart will move towards peace. Or maybe right now you are invested in your job in a way that is unhealthy. It's crowding out other things. It's, you're not left with an opportunity to invest in things that are eternal and important. And so maybe it's time to pull back a little bit on that. Or maybe you keep every single dollar and you spend it on yourself. And this fall, it's literally time to invest in something else. Something that, that God is doing in the world through this church and through a million other organizations that are doing God's work in the world that you could give to. And when you shift your treasure, you will find that liberating. So here's the, the idea I want to end with. Jesus knows that you are freezing. No. Jesus knows. <laughs> I'm up here like doing the Italian thing and my hands are like, so I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe <laughs> But here's what, here's what I want to end with. Jesus knows that we are built with the need for this ultimate security. Maybe it's the byproduct of our eternal soul living in this temporal world. But when we project that eternal need for security onto the things of the world, it's bad for us, and it's probably also bad for the things we're holding on to. It's easy to acknowledge that finding our security in money or a job can take us to unhealthy places, but can we also be honest enough to admit that finding our ultimate security in a significant other can be bad for that relationship? Or that finding our purpose in our kids can lead to parenting choices that we might regret? And so I don't know what, what it is for you, what it is you need to loosen your grip on. I know what it is for me. But if you commit to shift your grip, your focus, your time, your attention, your energy, your money, it's going to be good for both you and those good things that you care about the most. Because instead of hanging on too tightly to even the good things, we, our hearts will be somewhere safe. And we'll be able to enjoy those good things in a more profound way. Because our hearts will be somewhere secure and our love will be flowing from somewhere that cannot change. And so... At that point, the source of our love and our affection will be safe at home with the God whose love for us never changes. 
And so entrust your heart and invest in the God who has invested in you. What has he done? How has he placed his treasure in you? He has gone so far as to sacrifice his only son so that he could be in a relationship with you. And you will find that if you loosen your grip on the things of the world and you find concrete, even if it's just one concrete way, to grab hold of that truth, you will find that your heart moves to a place that is safer and more secure, that increases your capacity for change and frees you up to love even better those good things that we hold on to in this world. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the ways that you reach out to us with the fact that you have put eternity on the hearts of men, Lord, that you have built each one of us to seek eternal security. And Lord, we thank you for all the good things in our lives. We thank you for the relationships and the jobs and the kids and all the good things that we invest in. But I pray, Lord, that we don't hang on to those things so tightly that it's bad for us and it's bad for them. And I pray, Lord, instead that each of us is able to move towards an investment in you and our relationship with you through prayer, through the scriptures, through the ways we spend our time and money with each other and, and on the work that you're doing in this world, that, it, that it, our treasure moving will move our hearts also and we will be free to enjoy the world knowing that the ultimate security comes from you and from the fact that you died for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.